And for faith to increase And have earnestly, fervently prayed But you cannot have rest Or be perfectly blessed Until all on the altar is laid Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do his sweet will to be free from all ill on the altar your all you must lay. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul who can tell all the love he will send from above and how happy our hearts will be made of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet when our Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's go ahead and read those verses. And again, we've been dealing with this thought and this kind of series of being faithful being faithful. We know that the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. 
And we're going to see here in the passage that Paul the Apostle, we know, is at the end of his life. He, he doesn't have much longer to go. And so he's really emphasizing some things with some urgency. So he speaks to Timothy here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now again, as we said, Paul the Apostle is coming to the end of his life, and now he shares this charge with Timothy, his son in the faith. He wants him to understand and be very clear that it's not just Paul that's extending this charge. It's literally God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this charge is authoritative. Therefore, this charge is very serious. It's very solemn. It's very important. So we note that he goes on to say that I'm going to charge you. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. You need to be prepared. You need to prepare others. Therefore, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You got to get busy preaching, he says. You can't wait around. You can't wait for the perfect opportunity. You have to kick the door down, so to speak. Just get at the business of preaching the word of God because there's not much time left. You need to convince the sinner of their guilt before a holy God. You need to point out blame. And even if there's no conviction at all, you just keep on preaching, Timothy. And then you exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You encourage and you strengthen and you inspire as best you possibly can. You beg and you plead with people. He goes on to inform Timothy in verse 3 that there's coming a day when, sadly, there are going to be believers who maybe profess to know Christ. They're not going to hold on to. They're not going to continue in sound doctrine. He said, you better preach now because there's coming a day, Timothy. There's coming a time when God's people are not going to hold on to or continue in. The world in which you live is going to reject truth and they're not going to want it. They won't endure as he puts it. You know, we said that even though the early church began with a bang and God moved mightily in their midst, they saw a generation raise up who would not endure that sound doctrine. Their careless attitude toward the truth led to compromise. And eventually that compromise led to corruption. And in 2 Timothy 4.4, he states, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So we've already addressed in our series, The Coming Judgment. We noted the charge. We talked about the carelessness that led to compromise. But tonight, I want to address this issue of the corruption now. We see it in our passage, and it's something that we need to give consideration to. 
So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue on tonight. Father, bless us. Speak to our hearts through your word. Thank you for the blessed truths of the word of God. And we just ask that you would just drive home those truths, and may we live those truths. It's not enough, Lord, for us to simply acknowledge truth. We must apply it. Father, be with us now, and may we learn from those before us. May we not have to make the same mistakes in our churches and in our Christian lives. May we learn from the mistakes of others. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So again, the Apostle Paul has reminded Timothy of the coming judgment. He instructs him to preach the word with a sense of urgency. Why? I'll tell you why. And he tells us why. Because there's coming a day when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. There's coming a day when they're going to have itching ears and they're going to seek out teachers and other teachings altogether. And then he says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. That word translated fables is actually a word called muthos. And it refers to fiction as opposed to fact. What he's saying is, is that they're going to be turned unto fables. They're going to be turned unto the stories, if you will, to fiction rather than the facts. Now, how important is that, is we, is that when we consider this idea of trying the spirits, whether they be of God or not? How, how important is that? Allow me to share just a few things that will help us distinguish between fact and fiction. Number one is details. Details. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So the bottom line is, is that he's, he's telling us and he's warning us not to be guilty of answering a matter or coming to a conclusion too awfully soon. Now we're guilty of this when it comes to people. We're guilty of this when it comes to situations as well. We like to jump to conclusions. But the Bible's telling us we need to reserve judgment until we have all the facts. We noted in uh, prior series is that feelings can be extremely volatile, that they are not really trustworthy in many cases. If you are allowing feeling to dictate or determine your steps, then you're really on shaky ground. And so the Bible, especially in this case, Paul, as he addresses Timothy, his son in the faith who is a pastor, he's making sure he understands something. He's saying, listen now, you need to understand there's going to be those who are going to turn away their ears from the truth. And they're going to be turned unto fables. They're going to be turned unto folly. They're going to be turned unto to, to, to the, uh, not the truth. They're going to go the opposite direction, instead toward fiction, instead of fact. And so, first of all, if you want to ensure that you don't get caught up in, you know, slipping into the fiction side instead of the fact side, then you need to be very, com uh, very aware of the details of things. Dig a little bit, research a little bit, look into that person a little bit before you just give them a green light. You get what I'm saying? Again, so many times, or we come to a negative conclusion, but we're very critical of others very quickly without really digging in. We hear somebody say something, we, we um, hear somebody make a statement about someone, and next thing you know, we're like, well, then I don't want nothing to do with them. Well, how do you know it's true? You don't know that necessarily. And then we need to, number two, there's an element of discernment. 
We have this element of details, but what about discernment? What place does that play? Well, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Again, we cannot afford to take information at face value. You can't do that. I'm talking about any information. I mean, just because you go to school and a teacher stands up and shares something in the classroom and you're old enough to do some research yourself, double-check the teacher. Find out if what they're saying is really true. Get into your Bible. Identify the Word of God and say, all right, I know what truth is. The Bible's very clear. The Word of God is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So I'm going to dig into the Bible. You're telling me something about evolution. You're telling me how we came from some other uh, uh, form or something. We grew into something else or whatever. We, we evolved. Well, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to look at the word of God. I'm going to see what God has to say about it. You don't take that for face value. You find out what the Lord says. And that's true in other areas of our life, every area of our life. Information on the internet, the national media, even our best friend isn't necessarily rooted in fact. Just because you got a friend doesn't mean they know all the facts. Well, they was telling me about so-and-so, and I'm telling you, really? You think they, they do? They, they know that for a fact? Or did they hear that from someone? Be careful. Be careful. Discernment's so important. You better pray and say, God, I need you to give me some Holy Spirit discernment. And I need to know what the direction I'm going. I need to know what I'm believing and what I'm standing on is legit. It's real. It's not just fiction. It's fact. It's Bible. How many times have we heard a story or gotten information only to find out that it was either incomplete or simply not true? I mean, really, think about that. We jump to conclusions all too often. Details, discernment. You know, it's kind of the common place to hear the phrase fact check today. That's big time. It's all over the place. Can I just tell you something from my perspective? It does seem to me that the ones who keep crying fact check the loudest are the ones who are being twisting the facts the most. I'm sorry, but I'm having a real problem with the fact check thing. Fact check. Whose facts? Can I tell you that you and I will never know the real facts about half the stuff that people talk about in the media and everywhere else, but you know the one place that you can know for sure is fact and truth is the Word of God? Amen. You know, we're trying too hard sometimes to fit into a world that we don't belong to. I mean, we really are. We're trying to fit in so desperately into this world. And you say, well, we got to live, we got to breathe, we got to eat, we got to take care of our... Yeah, I know, but this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I mean, do we really believe that? Our citizenship is in heaven, according to Philippians. We're seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. Let's be careful we don't put too much stock in what everybody's telling us. Let's just, keep our st let's just make sure that we look and keep our eyes focused on him and his word. I promise you, you'll never go wrong. You'll always have the facts to stand on if you stay in the word of God. That's the place you can find truth. The word of God, for sure. There's a lot of other places you can be told it's true. But truthfully, even if I tell you something's true and you can't see it in the Word of God, then how do you know it's true? Just because I say it, it's true? I don't think so. Again, sadly today, we, we have those who have turned into fables or fiction. I think about, I think about Mormonism. It reads like a bad novel, folks. 
And I mean that. Joseph Smith Jr. was born in Vermont on December the 23rd, 1805. When Smith was about 14 years of age, he said that he received a vision from God and, and a vision from Jesus also that told him not to join any Christian denominational church at all. Don't cr- join a Christian denomination. Three years later, 17 now, Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni, I say Morani, but Moroni, appeared to him. Moroni revealed that Smith had been selected to translate the Book of Mormon, a sacred text, supposedly, that was written around the 4th century and named after Moroni's father, Mormon. Isn't that weird? I don't know about you, but that seems kind of crazy. An angel named uh, Moroni had a father named Mormon? Where's that in the Bible? I thought angels were created beings. Remember this fact versus fiction stuff? I tell you, it reads like a bad novel. According to Moroni... The spiritual book contained information about ancient people who inhabited the Americas. Well, Joseph Smith, he supposedly unearthed these golden plates, these tablets, so to speak, upon which Egyptian writing was found. He, along with a large pair of spectacles, he called them Urim and Thurim, he would look through them, supposedly, and then they would enable him to understand or to... um, to, to, to somehow interpret the plates. So what he did was, is he had the plates, gold plates, mind you, and himself and these spectacles, so to speak, as they're called, and then also Urim and Thurim. That's what coincides with the Old Testament, of course. But that's not, it's not the same thing. But anyway, he used it. He's on one side of a sheet. He's over here, with the tablets and his spectacles, as they're called, by some of the folks that apparently claim they saw this. Eleven people, by the way, saw the, the golden tablets, supposedly. Eight of which were part of his family and the man who was, he was dictating it to. But nonetheless, he's on this side of this curtain. On the other side is his scribe. Now, it's interesting to me, this is interesting, it took him 90 days approximately to read the Egyptian text and see it for, in English, and then he, he dictates it to this guy for not, three months, three months. Supposedly 11 people had contact with or saw these golden plates, but his wife never saw them. I don't know about you, but that's a little crazy to me. Of all, if, if I'm going to let somebody see the golden plates, I'm going to let my wife, because if I don't, happy wife, happy life. She's not happy. I'm not happy. It's a mess, right? You know what I mean? Now, again, I'm just saying it doesn't make a lot of sense that the wife wouldn't have, you know, been, you know, just doing a little clean and kind of looked around, you know. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, Joseph Smith, supposedly, he unearthed these golden plates. He begins to, you know, um, to, to ultimately uh, interpret the plates. And uh, it's interesting, again, it's just crazy how this all worked out. But nonetheless, despite all the lack of evidence and the unfounded claims of Mormonism, 
And can I tell you something? They're probably some of the nicest, kindest people you'll ever meet in your life. But that's not what determines truth. Because somebody's nice doesn't make them true, doesn't make them right. Uh, it goes a long ways to help you swallow the lies of Mormonism. But can I tell you, it's not truth. And in spite of the unfounded claims, Mormonism continues to capture the minds and the hearts of people in our country and around the world. I mean, that, that's, that's a, a, a perfect case, again, of turning our ears away from the truth and being turned into fables. Fables. There are other fables, such as those who those that are created by liberal theologians. Liberal theologians, they like to explain away all the miracles of Jesus Christ. They like to explain the miracles away of the Old Testament. I mean, let's face it, nobody could have possibly crossed the Red Sea, right? That's an impossibility. It's humanistically speaking impossible. So what do liberal theologians do? They explain it. I mean, a strong wind came along and dried up that old, you know, Red Sea right there where they're going through because they were around a curb there and the wind was really blowing hard. It was a wind shear almost. And man, I mean, it just dried it all up. They were able to walk across. Now, of course, it was probably a little muddy. It wasn't really dry probably, but there was just a little water, maybe only a couple inches at the most, but they got through. They were able to get across that. My only problem is, is that how in the world did the whole Egyptian army die? They all drowned. I mean, had somebody built a dam in the last few minutes or something, and then the dam broke and everybody got flooded? And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's nothing about that. They don't even admit that. But yet it's funny. You can go over to the Red Sea now, and you know what you find at the bottom of the Red Sea? You find wheels and chariots and different things at the bottom of the Red Sea that prove that there was an army that was covered by it. I don't think they just drove in and drowned. But again, what we have here is we have these liberal theologians who once again have turned their ears away from the truth, turned them unto fables. That's dangerous stuff there. These critics have tried to explain away the walls of Jericho, the ark, and a number of other Bible accounts. Pure fiction, mind you. There's this pure fiction. And how'd they ever get there? How'd they arrive at that place in their life? Because they turned their ears away from the truth. So you turn your ears away from the truth, guess what you're going to turn to? Fables. If it's not the truth that governs your life, then it will be fables. It will be lies. It'll be falsehoods. It'll be fiction. Not me. Yes, you and me. We're all the same. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. See that expression, they shall turn away their ears. It can be rendered basically something like this. They will no longer listen. They've come to the place that they're no longer going to listen. Now listen, Timothy, you need to understand there's coming a day 
when people are not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to seek knowledge and they're going to seek teachers and they're going to seek other teachings completely. And they're going to turn away their ears from the truth. Be turned into fables. They're no longer going to listen, Timothy. That word translated shall be turned is to turn or to twist. It's got somewhat of a medical definition to it. It's kind of a term that was used from time to time to describe like a dislocated, say, portion of your body, a dislocated limb. So maybe a dislocated arm or a dislocated leg. And if you look at the dislocated, say, arm or, say, shoulder down, it doesn't move. You can't utilize it. It's immobile. It's, it has no freedom of response or action. It's virtually helpless. Sherry and I were out to dinner during a Friday night youth rally. And uh, it was up in Astubula, the youth rally was, and didn't think a whole lot of it. And we were just out to dinner. We'd gotten a break from the kids. They were all in the youth at that point. We're, we're just enjoying dinner a little bit. We're sitting there. Next thing you know, the phone rings. It's like, what in the world's going on? What's the, who wants us? You know, and Sherry answers her phone and It's uh, the leadership calling, telling us that, well, Joshua's been taken to the hospital with a dislocated shoulder. What? What's going on? Taken to the hospital with a dislocated shoulder? What should we do? Well, we'll just finish dinner. Why let it ruin our night? (laughs) That's right. Got to have priorities, man. Happy wife, happy life. Actually, that could have been dangerous. See, if my wife was emotional, she'd been freaking out, and then I'd have been in trouble, but nah, she wasn't. She's like, well, he's in good hands, and there's no way we're going to get up there in time anyway. We were all the way down. I think, actually, we were at the barn that day, weren't we? And isn't that funny? Because I just talked about the barn, but we go there like a couple times a year maybe. We just happened to be at the barn, and old Josh, he playing football with a shoe or something, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> uh, dislocate a shoulder. Well, I remember we went to camp, right? So we're at camp now. Josh gets his shoulder put back in place, and we're at camp, and uh, I'm over here uh, at the swimming hole with all the boys, and Josh, he's out in the water, and he decides he's going to climb the, 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 what do they call that? A rock wall or whatever you call that, a climbing wall. So he gets up there, he starts climbing up, next thing you know, and I'm watching him, he's, his back's to me, and I'm standing here, he's out there, and next thing I know, I see one of the freakiest looking things. All of a sudden, just like, I mean, just, it just come right out, man, it just, I mean, you could almost hear it, you know, it's like, and it's just like, boom. And he's like holding on, he's got his feet and his arm on there like that, and he's like, and I'm like, dude, what's going on, man? I mean, I, I'm like standing on the dock up here, man. I, you know, I can't do, I'm thinking, he's got to get back in the water, but how's he going to get back in the water? He can't even move that arm, man. It was just like dangling. It was like, you know, and it was all like sticking back here and everything. I was like, oh, man. So he finally makes his way back down a little bit. I don't know how he did it, but he kind of held on. He just let himself hang, I think, and he kind of dropped into the water the best he could without hurting his arm again. So he's like trying to swim, you know, with one arm, you know. And, uh, and, and so then a couple of the guys, you know, they're trying to give him a hand, you know. 
and gets over by the dock. And all of a sudden, one of the, uh, the, the leaders, uh, uh, Mr. T, Mr. T, wasn't it? It was Mr. T. He, he turns around and he grabs Josh and Josh turns his back to him. He says, I'll, I'll get, come on, let me get you around. He gets around back of him and he goes to pick him up to get him up onto the dock. And when he went to pick him up, it went right back in place. I'm going to tell you something. I was a very happy dad. You say, why? Because it wasn't just a few years earlier, Josh was playing a game at camp, and he went and tackled this like 210-pounder, and the kid fell right on his back of his head, and his face was smashed in the ground. And he got up, and his nose was like this. <laughs> and I had to take him to the hospital, and they stuck some piece of metal up there and was like... <laughs> I was like, dude, I don't want to go through that again. I mean, it's camp, right? I'm here for all the kids, not just my son here. And you know, you know how it is, and, and I... And because, you know, with a shoulder, though, I'd already told, hey, you're going to have to take him to the hospital, because with the nose, I took care of that one. But this one, I mean, it was just, I took, you know, whatever. I mean, you started this mess, Mr. T. You're going to finish it. So, because he started with that youth activity, so I was going to make him take him. But, but anyway, the fact was is that he, his arm, he could do nothing with it. I mean, it was just dangling. It was like sticking back here and everything. I just tell you, it was really weird looking. And so when an arm's out of socket, it's lifeless. It's useless. You know what, that's how, you know, people who are twisted away from the truth to receive a lie become helpless victims of the delusions that they embrace. I mean, they are, they are helpless. They get to the place where they have turned away their ears from the truth, and it's as though they're out of joint. They can't do anything. They are victims of the very delusions that they've embraced. And they make the choice to turn away from the truth. They make that decision. And when they make that decision, they become just as helpless as that dislocated limb is. Second Thessalonians, turn over there, would you? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, in this particular passage, this is a prophetical passage, okay? And we're going to see that uh, again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's going to go ahead and give them some information here. He's going to talk to them a little bit about actually a time that's still ahead. It has not reached us yet even. We're still waiting on it. There's going to be a time when the, the Antichrist will be revealed, a time when the tribulation will kick off. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 he says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And again, we could go back and read, but because of time, it's going to stick with this portion. Because why? They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, notice that phrase, they received not the love of the truth. It does not say they did not have the truth. They didn't receive the love of the truth. Therefore, when the time comes and, and there are those that will ultimately reject the truth or the love of the truth, they're going to enter into the tribulation. They will not be truly saved. They're not born again. If you don't receive the love of the truth, you're not really a child of God. And can I tell you, this idea that everybody that goes into the tribulation period will have an opportunity to be saved, that is not true. 
If you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been exposed to the truth, if the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and you have rejected his attempts to reach and to receive you, then my friend, I want you to know that according to the passage, this, for this cause, you've received, it says you received not the love of the truth. Therefore, as for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion. And guess what? You're going to believe the lie of the devil. You'll take the mark of the beast like that. You say, I'd never do that. You will do that. Because see, just like our passage, when the Bible says that they turned away their ears from the truth, the next thing was they were turned into fables. If you turn your ear away from the truth, the only way you have to go is to lies, to fiction, to falsehoods. And can I tell you that those who are in this world today, you're sitting maybe even in a church service like this, and you say, I know how to be saved, and I, I, I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a part of me that just doesn't want to give it up. I'm not willing to truly trust him. I'm not really ready to turn it over to the Lord. I don't really want to settle that issue because I have some life to live yet. I still have my own wild oats to sow. I'll just wait till a little bit later, and all of a sudden, the rapture takes place. You've heard the truth. You know the truth. You could have received the truth, but you didn't receive the love of the truth. You're going to go to the tribulation period, and you are going to be a lamb to the slaughter, friend. You're going to believe every lie you hear. You're going to receive the mark of the beast. You'll be cast headlong into the lake of fire forever and ever. This idea that, well, I'll get a chance, another chance. Well, there's some preachers around the country that have preached that. There are book series that teach that. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter what fiction they're selling. All that matters is what the facts are. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. They'll choose to stop listening, Timothy. They'll stop listening to the truth, and they're going to be turned to fables, to false stories, to lies. It's interesting, isn't it? It's really self-inflicted weariness. When we choose to turn away from the truth, we're turning to fables. That is all there is to it. So how do we protect ourselves against fables? How do we do that? Number one, hold the word of God and the man of God in high esteem. You say, how do I protect myself against the fables? How do I keep myself from turning from the truth to fables? Well, hold on to the word of God and the, uh, hold the word of God and the man of God in high esteem. Turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Again, this sounds a little self-serving as I share this, but it is the whole counsel of God, so I'd be doing you a din justice if I didn't. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. <clears throat> the Bible says. Remember them which have the rule over you. Boy, that is something nobody wants to hear anymore, huh? And nobody ruling over me. Oh, okay. You just be turned to fables. Go ahead and reject the truth. Just be turned to fables. See how that turns out. Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation, the implication is 
follow their faith. And the truth is, he's saying, consider the end of their conversation. They're not just their words, but their lifestyle. If you can look at their life, you should be able to see fruit. You should be able to see evidence of an obedient life and God's blessing in that life. Not that, not that they're going to have, everything's going to be easy for them. Not that they may have a lot of money or nice houses. That's not necessarily the blessings that God bestows upon us. But you're going to see evidence of successful Christian living. Their lives, their families, their marriages. You're going to see evidence of that. You ought to see that in a man of God's life. If you don't see any of that evidence, then he ought not to be a man of God first of all. And he certainly doesn't or shouldn't be followed. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing. But that is a reality. You ought to be able to consider the end of their conversation. Okay? Now watch this, verse 17. And, and then it, it even gets a little bit more difficult if you, you hate this idea of obedience and rulership. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. But they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. When it's all said and done, and, and, and whether you understand this or not, it, it's a, a, a massive responsibility to think that the decisions that I make here at Community Baptist Temple on behalf of this church, God is going to hold me accountable for them. He won't hold you accountable for them. He'll hold me accountable. That's a huge responsibility for me. I, I think about that sometimes, and it can become more overwhelming than the duties themselves. And he says here again, as we continue with that, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For th Watch this. This is important. That they may do it with joy. Do what? that they may rule over you with joy. That they will watch for your souls with joy. That they give an account with joy. That they can do that with joy and not grief. Not, oh boy, these guys are making my life miserable. Nobody wants to do anything I ask them to do. Nobody wants to do anything that I propose. Man, I tell you, we just want to go out for the next four weeks and, and pass out 10,000 door hangers, but nobody wants to get on board. Nobody wants to do it. Hmm. He says, wait a second, that they may do it with joy, not with grief. Why? Why? For that is unprofitable for you. See, it's, you're not hurting the preacher. You're hurting yourself, at least if you believe the Bible, that is. So hold the word of God and the man of God in high esteem. That's the first thing. Number two, if you're going to protect yourself against fables, ask God for spiritual discernment to distinguish the difference between truth and lies. Now, I am convinced and confident that a believer ought to have a discernment that the world doesn't have. I don't understand why we, well, I, I do understand it. Take that back. I don't understand why we allow ourselves to be in a position where we lack the influence of God, his word, and the spirit, so much so that we find ourselves in the same mess the world does all the time, making the same bad decisions. How is that possible? Following the same bad advice, going in the same bad direction. Why is that? How can that possibly be? We have Christ living in us. So, ask God for spiritual discernment. 
to distinguish between truth and lies. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Man, I'll tell you what, there's all kind of people, false prophets, trying to teach bad doctrine even. That's what he's talking to Timothy about. Be careful you don't get caught up in all that mess. All these jokers running around talking about, you know, this issue of salvation by grace through faith or possibly the, you know, um, Calvinism where God just chooses who's saved and who's not. Where's that in the Bible? And you say, well, I know some people that go to Romans and they talk about that in Romans. Yeah, I know. It's funny how you got to go to one or two places. It's funny how the whole rest of the Bible is very clear on a few things. And if you'd rightly divide the scriptures, you'd realize that he's not talking about individual salvation. He's talking about the way of salvation. I mean, there's just so many aspects. I'm just saying we need to be extremely careful that we have some spiritual discernment so we're not caught up in the lies, so we don't turn our hearts, our ears away from the truth and ultimately turn to fables. Number three, don't expose yourself to lies and fables. I know that sounds ridiculous. It's simple, if you say. But, but listen, how many times do we listen to lies? You better be careful what news outlets you're listening to. <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll jack you up. You better listen. You better be careful who you're listening to on the radio, who you're following, who you're learning from, in a sense. You just got to be careful with who you're allowing to influence you. Whether you are influenced or not, you are being influenced. You better be careful. Just be very careful. Whether you believe it or not, you're being influenced. Don't listen or watch the wrong things. Boy, that's negative. That's critical. Pretty soon, you could find it undermining the truth. And if you turn away from the, your ears from the truth, guess where they're going to go? It'll be turned unto fables, to falsehoods, even to lies. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Don't touch those unclean things. Stay away from anything that's not truth. When it comes to God, his word, and the world, be careful. Number four, finally, don't consciously reject revealed truth. When you are confronted with truth, whether it's in preaching, teaching, or devotions, don't reject revealed truth. When you, you, you start to reject revealed truth, you will be turned into fables. Psalm 19, verse 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. 163 of that same chapter, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. We got to get to the place where we love the truth. We love God and his word. So much so that we, we despise, as he says, abhor lying. We hate vain thoughts. Again, don't consciously reject revealed truth. So if you're going to protect yourself against fables, hold the word of God and the man of God high in esteem. Give them their rightful place in your life. Number two, ask God for spiritual discernment to distinguish the difference between truth and lies. Lord, is, what I'm, what, is, is, is this true is this truth or is, the, or is this a lie? Is it a fable? I want to make sure I'm not being deceived. 
Number three, don't expose yourself to lies and fables. Don't consciously say, well, you know what? I know what I'm hearing isn't really true, but I'll be all right. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough to handle it. Uh, if you have questions whether it's right, wrong, or true or not, boy, just probably you'd be best not to, to, to receive it. Then don't consciously reject revealed truth. When God reveals truth to you, you just simply obey. When God re reveals truth to me, I just need to simply obey. Okay, so... When we choose to turn away from the truth, we are turned to fables. Now, as we close here tonight, Paul the Apostle is, is charging Timothy. Paul is prepared to die. He is ready to leave this earth, and he's trying to leave things in good hands. He wants to leave a legacy. He wants to leave someone that will continue his work. And he says... I'm telling you, Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He goes on to say, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Because Timothy, the Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned into fables. Timothy, don't you get careless. Because if you get careless, Timothy, you're going to be tempted to compromise. And if you take the road of compromise, it'll lead to corruption. Because it always does. It always does. Be faithful, Timothy. Be faithful, church family. No matter what, be faithful. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us and all you mean to us. And we just thank you for the simplicity of your word and for the wonderful truths that it, be, that it, that it bears out. And we just ask that we would be obedient to them. That, Lord, when we are confronted with revealed truth, that we would just simply say yes. That we would never turn our ears away from the truth. Because in doing so, we will be turned unto fables. Lord, we need you now tonight. Speak to our hearts and encourage us from your blessed book, the Word of God. Hope reigns in thy word. And in our heart, because you live in us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye.